Bringing greetings in the precious name of Jesus. It's good to be with you again. I think it's been about exactly a year since I was here last. And it's good to see you again and to share with you. And yes, before I go on, pray for the Bible school, for all the sick ones there. It's pretty rampant. Worst I've ever seen in all the years I've come. And we've run out of uh, medicine, so I have to be calling in prescriptions to try and help people along. So pray for my wife. She's still in bed, as well as some others. Imagine this scene from a recent courtroom trial in South Africa. A frail black woman stands slowly to her feet. She's something over 70 years old. Facing her across the room are several white security police officers, one of whom, Mr. Vanderbrook, has just been tried and found implicated in the murders of both her husband and her son some years before. It was indeed Mr. Vanderbrook, it has now been established, who had come to the woman's home a number of years back, taken her son and shot him at point-blank range, and then burned his body on a fire while his buddy stood around and partied. <coughs> Fellow officers. Several years later, Vanderbrook and his cohorts had returned to take away her husband as well. For many months she heard nothing of his whereabouts. Then almost two years after he'd been abducted, <coughs> Vanderbrook came back and fetched the woman herself. And she vividly remembers that evening. They took her to the place by the river where she was shown her husband, still living. He was bound and beaten, but he was still strong in spirit, lying on a pile of wood. The last words she heard from his lips as the officers poured gasoline over his body and set him aflame was, Father, forgive them. And now, the woman stands here in this courtroom and listens to confessions offered by Mr. Vanderbrook. A member of South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation Commission turns to her and asks, So what do you want? How should justice be done to this man who has so brutally destroyed your family? I want three things, she calmly said. I want first to be taken to the place where my husband, husband's body was burned so that I can gather up the ashes and give it a decent burial. Then she said, my husband and son were my only family. I want secondly, therefore, to have Mr. Vanderbrook become my son. I would like for him to come twice a month to the ghetto and spend a day with me so that I can pour out on him whatever love I still have in my heart. And finally, she said, I want a third thing. I would like Mr. Vanderbrook to know that I offer him my forgiveness because Jesus Christ died to forgive. This was also the wish of my husband. And so I would kindly ask someone to come to my side and lead me across the courtroom so that I can take Mr. Vanderbrook in my arms, embrace him, and let him know that he is truly forgiven. 
as the court assistants came to lead the elderly woman across the room, <clears throat> Mr. Vanderbrook, overwhelmed by what he just heard, fainted. And as he did that, <clears throat> those in the courtroom, friends, family, neighbors, all victims of decades of oppression and injustice in South Africa, began to sing softly but assuredly, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Forgiveness. What is it? What is forgiveness? Do we understand it? Forgiveness, definition of forgiveness is the release from an obligation. It's the act of setting someone free from an obligation that is the result of some wrong that is done against you. <clears throat> to think of another example that we're really familiar with would be Joseph in the Bible. That's who I almost always, my mind immediately goes to him usually when I think of this kind of a um, scenario. <clears throat> we all know the story, so we won't go and go through it all, but we'll, I'll touch on some of that so that you just to bring it back to your memory <clears throat> he was hated by his brothers as you know and when he was sent by his father to check up on them to see how they were doing <clears throat> um, well let's see before that he even uh, had a dream that made it sound like they're going to bow down to him so they hated him for that and his, his dad gave him the coat of many colors so that he was their favorite <clears throat> he knew that he was the favorite of his, of his father so when he came to check up, check up on him, he was thrown in the pit by his brothers, and that was only because Reuben pled, you know, not to kill him like they supposed to do. <clears throat> then he was sold for the price of a slave and sent into Egypt. He was falsely accused, and, and, he, and he worked for Potiphar, the uh, captain of the king's guard. Then he was falsely accused of impurity with Potiphar's wife and thrown in jail. And then even in jail, he couldn't get things to go his way that well. He interpreted a dream for the baker and the butler and, and told the one that lived to not forget him, but of course he did. And so there he was even longer. So if anyone ever had to be bitter and angry and vengeful, I think of Joseph as one that had that, you'd think had that right. But we don't read that he was. I don't read that he ever was Vengeful, that he wanted revenge on those that wronged him. And you know, we've all suffered some wrongs at some time or another, unless we're just maybe one year old or something. Because it's not very long until someone's going to do something to you <clears throat> that hurts you, and forgiveness needs to take place. The interesting thing is, the youngsters usually can forgive real quickly, and the older people don't seem to be able to do that so easily. At least that's my experience. <clears throat> but how many of you have been hated by your family? That could be. How many of you have been thrown in a pit? Probably not too many. How many have been sold as a slave? <clears throat> and how many have been falsely accused of impurity? How many have been thrown into prison when you're innocent? Well, probably none of us have experienced things to that magnitude like Joseph did nor to this lady that had her husband and her son both murdered by the 
police officers in South Africa. Well, how did Joseph handle it? And how did this lady handle it? They obviously had hurt feelings. I mean, you don't do things like that without something hurting in your heart. And so they had pain. Um, Any of you would have pain if your husband or your wife or your son or your daughter was murdered. I'm sure you would have tremendous pain. And this lady had pain. I know that. But both of them had learned how to forgive. And we could maybe call it the art of forgiveness. It's a God-given thing. In monetary terms, forgiveness would be canceling a debt. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew 18. Let's think about that a little bit here. Matthew 18, and I will read starting at verse 23. Matthew 18, 23. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. But forasmuch as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Maybe I'll stop there for right now. This, of course, this is representing God. We know that. And And us. But he's talking about this certain king and this, this uh, servant owed him a tremendous amount of money that he could never repay, even though he worked very hard all his life. He could never make enough money. And yet God, or this king, forgave him all the debt. So he didn't owe him one cent. Didn't owe him anything. And so forgiveness... That was total forgiveness. That's a picture of forgiveness. Forgiveness means giving up everything. Giving up that inward feeling of injury and resentment when we're thinking now about our feelings. And it includes a removal of a feeling of anger for a feeling of love and acceptance. That African lady just amazes me. She was willing to forgive her murderers and then even ask him to be her son. <laughs> That's going not just the second mile, but the hundredth mile or something, it would seem to me. <clears throat> but you see, Joseph was able to do that too. He was able to forgive them and show them all kinds of love. So how do we do it? How do we forgive? How can someone do that? I have a quote from Brother John Koblenz who said that forgiveness is an act of faith. It's a refocusing from the offender, the person that offended you, to God. That's usually the answer to a lot of things. Look towards God. Because what we tend to do when someone offends us, 
as we think about that person and we think about that person and we think about that person and the things get worse and the things get worse and we feel worse toward them we have more anger more bitterness more you know it just builds if instead we would look at the offender as a tool of God that's helping us helping to shape our lives in, in a certain way and that can be very painful you realize that um, it's not going to be easy but good can come from it turn now to Genesis 45 and I'll just read the part that uh, talks about Joseph when he revealed himself to his brothers Genesis chapter 45 verse 1 it says then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him and he cried cause every man to go out from me and there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren and he wept aloud and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard and Joseph said unto his brethren I am Joseph doth my father yet live and his brethren could not answer him for they were troubled at his presence and Joseph said unto his brethren come near to me I pray you and they came near and he said I am Joseph your brother whom you sold into Egypt now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hitherto, hither, hither for God did send me before you to preserve life for these two years hath the famine been in the land and yet there are five years in the which there shall neither be earing nor harvest and God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance so now it was not you that sent me hither but God and he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt haste ye and go up to my father and say unto him thus saith my son Joseph God hath made me lord of all Egypt come down unto me tarry not and thou shalt dwell in the house of Goshen in the land of Goshen and thou shalt be near me thou and thy children and thy children's children and thy flocks and thy herds and all that thou hast and there will, and there will I nourish thee for yet there are five years of famine, lest thou and thy household and all that thou hast come to poverty. And behold, your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin, that it is my mouth that speaketh unto you. And ye shall tell my father all of my glory, of all my glory in Egypt, and of all that ye have seen, and that ye shall haste and bring down my father hither. And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them and after that his brethren talked with him bring that out to notice help you notice what kind of attitude Joseph had toward his murderous brothers they wanted to murder him they tried but of course it didn't quite happen and notice that he not only demonstrated that he forgave him by talking to him in this way but he kissed him and then they communed together you know they could talk further on that took some powerful doing didn't it you see he noted that God used them to make all these things happen so that he could save their lives and of a lot of other people the people of Egypt a lot of the then known world perhaps you know, was saved because of what had happened before <clears throat> and somehow this black lady also saw that 
These men were a tool in God's hand. She carried no ill will. She did not. You know, she could have said, like most people do today, you know, I want capital punishment. He needs to be put to death. He needs to be in, in, in prison for life, whatever it is. But she was focused upon God rather than her offender. And so she wanted this offender to be her son. She decided that she wanted to love him rather than hate him. Now again, don't think for a minute that that was easy. That cannot be easy. Forgiveness is a process that needs to be practiced on a continual basis. You know, the murders had occurred some years before this trial took place. The black lady had been practicing forgiveness for a number of years. And she realized that forgiveness was a means of exalting God, of lifting up God, not herself. She didn't worry about herself. She wanted to exalt God and lift up his purposes. And do you and I see it that way? When we have that kind of a situation? Let's catch up on Joseph too. Joseph was 17 when he was sold into Egypt. He was 30 when he became ruler. If you do the math, you can figure that out. 13 years later. And then it was another nine years until he revealed himself to his brothers. So Joseph had been practicing forgiveness for 22 years already toward his brothers by the time he revealed himself to them. And then Joseph's family moved to Egypt and it was some years until his father Jacob died. And apparently his brothers still felt guilty and they had anxiety about what was going to happen when their father died because they feared that now Joseph was going to take revenge and they're going to be history because you know he's in charge. So if you want to turn back to uh, Genesis 50, 15 through 21 to see what Joseph's response was. Genesis chapter 15, verse 15. His father just died. And it says, And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. He's going to pay us back. And they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for for they did unto for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of God thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went down, went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now therefore, fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. That's a picture of forgiveness, isn't it? That kind of response. And yet, that beautiful attitude is what we need to have when we're we're faced with that kind of situation. Now, let's go back to Matthew 18 again, and we'll be there for the, that'll be the last 
I won't have you paging around too much anymore. <clears throat> Matthew 18. What about just before this parable? It started out, this parable, because Peter came unto him, verse 21, and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. I always found that pretty interesting. Because Peter thought he was really doing it. If he was willing to forgive somebody seven times, he thought, oh, that has to be pretty much all a man can handle. You know, that's the limit. And Jesus blew it away and said, go for 490. And I wonder if Peter, when he got to 489, whether he was keeping track by that time, you'd probably get a little confused, wouldn't you? So what he was really saying is, you just forgive forever. I mean, always. There's no limit. You don't really stop. You don't really count to 490. He's just making it so big that nobody could keep track. <clears throat> so, we need to continue to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. And again, that's what Joseph did. That's what this lady did to Mr. Vanderbrook. So, what are your toleration limits? What are my toleration limits? How many times can I handle it? Have, I heard, have you ever heard it said that, uh, you know, this has been going on, this has been going on, this has been going on, this, this irritation, this, this wronging of, of someone? And they finally said, now I've had it. I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. And... Maybe we proceed to do that. Well, what have we done then? We've probably offended them, and now it's turned the other way around, and we've not made anything better. We've only made things worse. <clears throat> you know, we've all suffered wrongs of one degree or another. <clears throat> we've been wronged usually by an ill-spoken word, and for most of us, it could be by a friend or by a brother or sister in the church or a parent in the flesh or it could be um, in the school or the community wherever it might be someone probably wronged us somehow have you been able to forgive someone that did something against you or are you still holding a grudge and you know grudges lead to bitterness and what does bitterness do to you well, it eats away at your soul. You certainly are not going to be growing spiritually while you're holding a grudge against someone. That is going to stunt your growth. And it hurts you more than it does any uh, anyone else. You're the one that's being hurt. So what are some of the results of unforgiveness? Let's read now in uh, Matthew 20. Matthew 18, verse 20. Let's see, where did I stop there? <clears throat> verse 28. Start at verse 28. What are the results of unforgiveness? But the same servant went out and found out one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. 
Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And the Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. I think we have a lot of insight about spiritual and emotional healing in this parable here. Many of us struggle with feelings of unworthiness. We're not accepted. We're tormented with guilt, resentment, striving, anxiety, sins and hurts of the past. We carry baggage. You've heard that term. And you and I that struggle with things like that need forgiveness because we owe a tremendous debt to God. You and I can never repay the debt that we owe to God. It's impossible. We could never, you can't buy it. I think somebody tried to estimate how much it was that this first servant owed to his king and it was something like 10 to 50 million dollars something like that but even that is nowadays maybe more doable by some people but you can never pay back what you owe God it's impossible and yet God will forgive you the whole debt if you just come to him and ask for mercy just like this person did here God's forgiveness is not partial either. It's not just, well, I'll forgive you half of it and then you work on the rest. It's not that kind of a thing. He, he forgives you everything. And he only asks, the only thing he asks in this parable type thing here is that you forgive others. You need to forgive others. And this servant hadn't yet learned that lesson, did he? He went to his fellow servant and took him by the throat and give me your $20 is what it amounted to compared to what he'd been forgiven. He had no mercy on his fellow servant. And so therefore the king had to reverse his forgiveness. And you say, well, I would never act like that unfaithful servant. I would never take somebody by the throat and say, give me that $20. But you know what? You and I do do that sometimes. We make mountains out of molehills sometimes. We demand things of people that should not be done. <clears throat> you know, you and I can hardly handle it <clears throat> when someone says a few bad words about us, a few things that we think aren't true, but maybe they are actually, or maybe they aren't. <clears throat> Anyhow, we can wear, some of us wear our feelings right out on our sleeve, so to speak, so that if somebody just brushes along and touches them a little bit, you know, it's like, it's really bad. You know, God has harsh words for us if we fail to forgive our brother. This parable is very evident of that. He demands forgiveness. We need to forgive our brother. Like I mentioned before, the world finds it very hard to forgive. You know, it's not something that's easily done. You read in the paper where if somebody is murdered, their, uh, their family usually demands they can't rest until that person has capital punishment, you know, justice met out to him. 
And I've been blessed, and I imagine you've been too, when you hear of some Christians how that they forgive those that cause them injury. One that always stands, often stands out to me is um, in our community where we live, there was a, a group of, uh, of Amish children that were killed on Harrison Road. Harrison Road is a road that runs right through Mount Eaton where I live and goes east and west, but this is west about maybe five miles from where I live. And there was about 10 or 12 Amish children that had just walked down to their neighboring house uh, for a birthday party. I think the, I'm not quite sure who had the birthday, but I know there was a two-year-old along on this that walked along with these uh, children. And they were coming back from the birthday party, just walking along the side of the road, uh, along with uh, this this two-year-old. And suddenly a car came very fast down Harrison Road. You should never drive very fast on that road because there's a lot of buggies, and it's not a very wide road. And this car was out of control. The car kind of went off to the left side of the road a little bit, you know, and he pulled it back on, but then he overcorrected. And he headed straight for these children that were going along on the on the proper side of the road towards the traffic. And you know what what's the natural reaction when there's a group of people like that? Well, they they tend to they tended to cling together. You know, they went together. They should have scattered, but they they went together, and the car went right into them. And you can just imagine the scene: <coughs> children flying, and uh, Five were killed and several others injured severely. The two-year-old was killed. And it, it, it involved, well, you can imagine a birthday party. It was pretty much all cousins. You know, they're all related to each other. And as I recall, they had funerals in three different places at once uh, to handle this. You know, they have their, their funerals in houses. I mean, you know, they're not a very big place. So... Um, but did they, were they uh, mad at this man? No. You know, they, they forgave him. They didn't want anything to done with, be done with him. I think the state did step in and induce, you know, he was tried and things like that, but they did not really want that done. So again, if we focus on God rather than the offender, we can experience how that this very difficult situation can in the end bring glory to God. It can be used to bring honor to Him. And it is a tremendous blessing both to you and to those forgiven and to the community. But if you fail to forgive, then God can't forgive you. And you become bitter in your soul and you've damaged your interpersonal relationships. You can develop health problems. You can, develop, you can have headaches. You can have stomach disorders, all kinds of vague pains and weaknesses and exhaustion and the list just goes on but even worse if you maintain that attitude in your heart you can't make it to heaven God says I will forgive you as you forgive others that's what you pray when you pray the Lord's prayer right alright I want to talk just a little bit about the misconception or at least a misemphasis I feel on the idea that we are to forgive and forget You've probably heard that cliche many times. Forgive and forget. And that haunts people because 
If they feel that's what they need to do, they say, well, I can't forget it. I would say, relax. You don't have to forget it. How can you? Now, you may, able, you may be able to forget minor wrongs have been done against you, and I've heard people say that. You know, people come and confess, oh, I forgot all about that, you know, and that's great. But do you think this black lady could ever forget that her husband was murdered or that her son was murdered? Do you think Joseph could ever forget that he was taken in, into uh, Egypt and put into prison? Well, of course he couldn't forget those things. Those things are going to be with you the rest of your life. You can't, you can't uh, get rid of that. If someone has an operation, nowadays they can do it with so, such little scars that maybe you won't hardly notice it, but in days gone by when they had to really open you up, you know, you forget about it as far as it doesn't hurt in there anymore, but there's still a scar there, right? The scar is a telltale sign that, that something has happened. So do you think those Amish parents whose children were killed ever forgot that their children were killed by this out-of-control car? Well, of course not. So it's not that we forgive and forget the incident or forget that this happened, but we have a totally different attitude toward it. The attitude is instead of bitterness and uh, anger and all that, it's replaced with love. And so maybe it doesn't have the alliteration, I know, but to forgive and love would probably be a better thing to say than to forgive and forget. You know, even God doesn't forget. People say, well, God forgets your sins. Uh, in Jeremiah 31, 34, it says, I will remember their sin no more. I don't think that's saying that God forgets it and he doesn't remember it anymore because God knows everything. I mean, he even knows how many hairs come off your head and things like that. So, of course, he knows those things. But he forgets them in that he doesn't hold them against you anymore. They've been cast into the sea, as it says, and he no longer remembers those sins against you anymore. That's the way I would interpret that. The debt has been paid in full. Jesus Christ died. His blood will cleanse us from all sin. And so he forgives and loves us just as, as uh, wonderfully, and we are to do that same thing. We are to forgive. Now, what are the steps of forgiveness? We've been talking about it, but how do you do it? What are the steps of forgiveness? So I've got listed seven things, and then after that I'm going to tell you about how do you know that you have forgiven for sure. What are the steps of forgiveness? Number one, you have to choose to forgive. It has to be a conscious choice. Forgiveness doesn't happen automatically. It's not a natural human response. Uh, if you're a Christian, it becomes more easy to do it, but it still it takes something. It takes a decision that you're going to forgive. It takes a conscious choice. So that's number one. Choose to forgive. Number two. Confess your failure to forgive as sin to God. Because if you have... Okay, usually there's two sides to the story in, in a lot of cases. Not always, but if it's a situation where you have not done right either, then you need to confess that so that your heart is right. <clears throat> Number three, ask the forgiveness of those that um, you may have wronged. Admit your own wrong, your own attitudes, and tell him or her that you forgive them. And then number four, 
ask God to bless the person who has hurt you. And that's tough because you're thinking naturally bad thoughts about that person, but you need to bless him. You need to bless that person. And a good way to do it is to pray for that person. That's what I've found out. And maybe read 1 Corinthians 13 every day for a while. And so get that in your heart that you love that person. And God will put a love in your heart for that person if you continue to pray for him or her, whatever the situation is. Then number five, do something nice for the person who has hurt you. You know, heap coals of fire on their head, as it were. That is a sign of true forgiveness when you can do something nice for them. Number six, accept the person the way he is, even when he's all wrong. I mean, sure, they wronged you, and they're maybe still doing wrong, but you still have to accept them. Again, if you don't, you're just hurting yourself. And then number seven, look at the person through the eyes of faith, believing that God can change it. You know, you can't change another person. They need to have God change them. God can do it. And so look at them through the eyes of faith. And you might say, well, I did all that, but now how do I know that I've really forgiven them? How do I know that this is, has really happened? Well, here are some tests of forgiveness. These are some things you can, some of it goes back to what I just said, but it's some real explicit ways of thinking about, have I really forgiven this person? Number one, when I no longer hold the other person responsible. You know, they did something against me, they wronged me, but I'm no longer blaming them. I'm no longer holding them responsible. I've alleviated them of that debt. Okay? So that's number one. Number two, when I can think, and this is a tough one here, when I can think of the incident without being stirred emotionally, you can look back at this time when he or she said something bad about you, or did some other action against you, and it, you just feel fine. It doesn't bother you. It doesn't bring up any emotion you know, that you would have had before. That's a good sign. That, that's one sign, anyway, that you have forgiven them. So check her emotions. <clears throat> Number three, when I no longer look for other faults in that person. It's our tendency when someone does something like that is we... Oh, well, yeah, see, they did this too. You know, and, and if they do something else wrong, oh, look at that. And we point those things out. That means we haven't forgiven, if that's the case. Because we're looking for things that kind of justifies our position. Number four, when I no longer look for opportunities to take revenge, I no longer look for opportunities to kind of just get back a little bit, you know, just kind of turn the tables. We cannot be doing that. We cannot be thinking of taking revenge. And number five, when I no longer remind the person of his or her past wrongs. You know, maybe it's someone that you communicate a fire amount and just give a little jab now and then. No, you can't be doing that. That means you haven't really forgiven. And number six, when I can begin to accept correction from the other person in a Christ-like manner. In other words, they, they have something to offer to you and you're thinking, boy, they did something to me before. But you learn that you can accept it without being judgmental. 
you can accept it in a Christ-like manner. That would be proof that you have forgiven them. Again, forgiveness is not easy. It is not something that we can uh, it, it just takes effort and it can be very painful. However, when you refuse to forgive others, you not only deepen your own hurt, but you grieve the one, Jesus, who gave himself completely so that you could have eternal forgiveness. You grieve God when you fail to forgive someone else. And you prevent him from forgiving you, as you know. He forgives us as we forgive others. And so you can't have true peace. So this morning, perhaps God has shown you some unforgiveness that's in your heart. Don't keep it there. Don't leave it be. Instead, you need to follow the example of the African lady. You need to follow the example of Joseph and replace that hurt and that unforgiveness with forgiveness and love. Take the steps of forgiveness and you're going to experience a tremendous freedom in your life because God has forgiven you.